Today on Blue 58, the Packers took tight ends with two of their first four picks in this spring's NFL draft, and they are going to lean on those young players pretty hard this season. What should we expect from this very young group of tight ends? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I'm happy to be with you here for another episode, and not just because... We're going to talk tight ends today, but a little bit because we're going to talk tight ends today. It's an exciting and interesting position, and I'm not saying that just because of my borderline obsession with the tight end position. It's it's an interesting group, and I don't really recall something like this in Packers history. Just the amount of resources spent on making sure we fix this position. The closest thing I can think to it is... Really, well, I guess there are two examples that I don't think are quite the same. The 2015 draft, the Packers draft Marius Randall and Quentin Rollins won two. And then the 2018 draft, the Packers take uh, J.R. Alexander and Josh Jackson won two. This is slightly different than that because of how focused the tight end position is going to be on these two young players and how they're going to develop over time. And how guys develop is going to be a big focus on these tight ends now and in the future. Because as you look at tight ends, the Packers tight ends in particular, you can't get away from the fact that they are young. And the question is, I think, or it should be, when are they really going to become the players that they're going to be in the NFL? Generally, you think it's probably not going to be as a rookie. And I would think the general... Well, the body of evidence seems to support that for just about every player at every position. Most guys are just not going to be close to their full potential as a rookie. But when does it happen? Generally speaking, I think the consensus is that tight ends take about three years to develop. I've heard numerous people say that. I've probably said something like that myself. For a long time in Green Bay, the focus, at least on the wide receivers, was on the third-year leap. Is that a true thing, though? When does that happen, and how can we know? I put together a study trying to figure out the answer to that question. Here's how I put it together trying to answer it. I wanted to look at tight ends drafted in the top 100 picks, so guys that are considered basically quality players. There's a substantial drop-off in the return on your investment if you're drafting guys after about pick 100 or so, so generally speaking, the first three rounds of the draft. I've also wanted to look, or I also wanted to look at guys who played for a significant amount of time. So I limited my search to guys who played at least 35 games across four seasons. So basically looking for guys who played out their rookie deal at least. I also wanted to limit our search to guys who played after the 2011 CBA. Practice times and the amount of time you could spend really developing as a player changed a lot after 2011, so I figured that was a good place to start. So really that gives us 40 tight ends to look at, drafted between the years 2011 and 2019. 2011 because it gets us the 2011 CBA, 2019 because you need guys that have been in the NFL for at least four years to get those four seasons, 2019, 20, 21, and 22. So What did we learn from those 40 tight ends that we looked at? According to the research that I was able to put together, it seems to be generally true that you will see improvement across the entire spectrum of tight ends. No matter where they are drafted, most guys improve if they're going to stay in the league. If you're good enough to stick around in the league for a while, you're going to improve. But it is crucial to note 
when that development takes place. And it's also crucial to note that the the development curve seems to be flatter than you'd think. You don't see a lot of guys that start out okay and go to great by the end of their rookie, rookie contract. Most guys go from pretty good to really good at most, or start out pretty strong and then improve slight, slightly from there. The average gain in terms of overall output is not that spectacular. How did we quantify that output? I looked at pro football focus grades in three different categories, and I know there are some issues with pro football focus grading, and you know some people don't, don't like it at all. I understand that. This is about the best we've got in terms of putting quantifiable numbers on a guy's overall performance from one year to the next. We know there's a whole bunch of other variables that go into the counting stats, even the amount of time you play. So just looking at the grades seemed like a good way to give me an idea of how much guys were improving. Anyway, that development curve is flatter than you'd probably think. The average grade from year one to year four goes from about a 64 overall, their offensive grade, and you know, You can look at different grades for receiving and run blocking as well. But the average grade as a rookie among these 40 tight ends goes from a 64 to a 66. Now, there's problems with using average because some guys are really high, some guys are really low. So I figured we'd take a look at the median grade, the guy right in the middle of the data set. Over four years, the median tight end grade overall goes from a 63 to a 66. It's not like guys... It's not like this whole group is really developing from not very good to very good over the course of those four years. It's it's slight improvement. You start pretty much where you're going to be as a player. But when does the real jump take place? That's the big question here. When do we see a guy go from a prospect to a player? I think that's the best way of defining it too. When do you go from that bundle of potential to realizing that potential? The biggest jump in grades isn't from year two to year three. It isn't from year three to year four. It isn't from even year one to year four. It's from year one to year two. In overall grade, in receiving grade, in blocking grade, the biggest jump goes from year one to year two. That's where most of the improvement takes place. In two of those three categories, this sample size actually got worse from year two to year three, on average. Receiving grade is the only one that goes up from year two to year three on average. Every other one really kind of tails off, and I'm not exactly sure why that is. Maybe guys are figuring out uh, around the league how you defend these younger players as they get further into their career. Maybe we've just got a couple guys throwing off the data set. It is a fairly small sample, though not not terribly small. I'm not really sure why that is, but it does go down into those three categories. Not a perfect study, but it does give us some things to look at here. Conclusion-wise, though, here's where I land, having looked at this. If we're looking at tight ends, we can probably, I think, safely hope for them to become the player version of themselves, going from prospect to player, in year two. At some point during year two, they should be the guy that they're going to be in the NFL. Related to the Packers specifically, I think that means we're going to start to get a pretty good glimpse of what Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft can bring to the Packers long term by the end of this season. 
by the end of this year, you were a lot closer to a year two player than a rookie player. You've gone through all of your first training camp. By the end of, shoot, November, the start of December, you've played a dozen NFL games at least. It's pretty close to your final college season in the NFL, or in in college, or your final season in college in terms of just the number of games played, plus some, some preseason games in there too as well for whatever those are worth for you. They've played quite a bit of NFL football. They should be rounding into form by the end of their rookie season. We should be able to get a pretty good idea what they're going to look like. And then they should really start to take off by year two. We're talking about Luke Musgrave, Tucker Craft, really becoming noteworthy, important players for this Packers team in 2024 at some point. And in 2023, they're going to have a chance to really figure it out. And that brings us to this tight end group as a whole. We're going to walk through this group same way that we've done every other one. Guys for whom we have no expectations, low expectations, moderate and high. But just to kind of bring the end to the beginning here, we're going to have high expectations for Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft, but I'm not really sure what that means. What are we really looking for from them? What does it say or what does it mean to figure out how to be an NFL player anyway? A lot like Jordan Love, I think, it comes down more to vibes than really output. Does it look like these guys can play? And really skip to the end here, for a guy like Luke Musgrave, whose entire game really is athleticism, is the athleticism going to be an elevating factor for him? Or is it going to be just, ah, yeah, he's another guy who's big and can run fast. You know how many of those there are in the NFL? A lot. We've seen guys that are big, strong, fast athletes before. To bring up a really cursed name in Packer circles, you know who's a pretty big, strong, fast athlete? Brandon Bostick. Had a couple relatively civil discussions about Brandon Bostick with a couple people recently. And not to take the discussion too far afield here, he does probably get more blame than he really deserves for the 2014 NFC Championship game. He just has the misfortune of having the most memorable moment from that incredible meltdown. If you're trying to distill that game down to one image, it's hard to do better or worse than the ball literally bouncing off of a guy's face into the opposing team's hands, right? There are so many other things that happened in that game that weren't Brandon Bostic's help or fault. It's just, it has happened at a really inopportune time, you know, among others, not that there were a ton of opportune meltdowns in that game. And his was the most spectacular, unfortunately. Anyway, he was another big, strong, fast guy. The Packers have had a bunch of them. You remember a guy by the name of Emmanuel Bird from a couple of years ago? No, you don't. I didn't make him up. He's real. He had a real catch in a real NFL game. But another you know, big, strong traits guy. Not in the, the ballpark of Luke Musgrave, sure. But being big and strong and fast is not enough. And we're going to have to get answers this year as to whether just being big and strong and fast is is all that Musgrave and Kraft can bring to the table or if there's something more. But that is the end of the discussion. Let's talk about the beginning here first. Guys for whom we have fairly low expectations or no expectations even. Two guys fall into the no expectations camp here. Cameron McDonald and Austin Allen. 
McDonald is an undrafted player from this spring, longtime contributor at Florida State, 58 games there. Not spectacular stats, but he played a long, long time at a big-time college program. Somebody thought enough of him at the college level to keep giving him reps. Let's see what he can do at the NFL level. The other guy, Austin Allen, very tall, makes him very interesting to me. Of course, was pretty productive at Nebraska, pretty darn good athlete too. And based on our study, if he's going to start to become anything, it's probably going to be this year. And for a guy who's as big and strong and tall and fast as he is, well, it might as well happen. Prediction-wise, I really have a hard time coming up with anything for either of these guys. Safe prediction, I'd say, would be that neither of them sticks around in Green Bay this year. But looking at the rest of the tight end room, I don't see any obvious practice squad candidates there. In fact, everybody else is probably going to end up on the 53-man roster. So I would say McDonald, no, he's done in Green Bay. Allen, yes, ends up on the practice squad. There's a prediction for each one of them. Low expectations group. Tyler Davis finds himself in this tier all alone. Davis comes into 2023 entering his third year with the Packers, and through those two years so far, he has a grand total of eight catches for 61 yards. Two of those catches have gone for first downs, though. Good for you, Tyler. He really has come into his own on special teams over the course of his time with the Packers. In 2021, he had 242 snaps on special teams, which felt like a lot, but then in 22. He had 346, the most on the team, even more than exclusive special teamer Dallin Levitt. In addition to those 346 snaps on special teams, he played about 175, I want to say 174 snaps on offense. That's just going from memory. Don't quote me on that, but it's right in that ballpark there. Fewer than 200, more than 150, more than a cameo player on offense as well. That is a fairly valuable piece, even if not like overly... He's not going to see a lot of exposure this year. He ends up in this tier because the position has changed around him. There was a time when I and others, but mostly me maybe, uh, thought he could develop into something of a real interesting piece for the Packers. I think that window has basically closed. It's pretty clear who's going to get the opportunities at tight end in Green Bay. And it's not going to be Tyler Davis, I'm sorry to say, for all the Tyler Davis fans out there, and perhaps Tyler Davis's family. The position has changed around him, but that does not mean he is not important. He meets expectations this year by just being exactly who he is. You are a special teamer, you're a reliable special teamer, and you can play spot snaps on offense too. That's a very viable NFL career path. If you can be a not even dynamic special teamer, but an extremely reliable special teams player who plays every phase of special teams, plus not making your team look stupid when you're out there on either offense or defense, you can make a fairly decent living playing in the NFL. I mean, for most of us, a really, really good living. But as far as NFL players go, I mean, you're not going to be standing, standing in the breadline as far as uh, NFL contracts go. You're going to be rewarded for that and probably find employment for a, as long as you can continue to be a very reliable player on special teams. And as long as Davis can do that, he's going to have a job somewhere in the NFL. So I would predict he ends up near the top of the Packers special team snap count leaderboard again this year. I would predict top two again. I don't see any reason why not. If you've got a guy who's reliable, you might as well keep sticking him out there. And Davis seemed to be fairly reliable in 2022. That brings us to the moderate tier, where Josiah DeGuara sits by himself. Year four for DeGuara, 
kind of a funny player for me, just looking at his career so far, because on the one hand, I really disliked the Josiah DeGuara draft pick at the time. It seemed like a lot of resources to spend on a guy who was going to have a pretty limited role. But I really, really like what DeGuara does on the football field. For a guy who pretty much just blocks, he's really fun to watch. He blocks in a lot of interesting ways from a lot of interesting positions. From the slot, from an H-back position, from a fullback position, going in motion, from a static set. He does it all as a blocker. Yes, the productivity has been a little bit of a disappointment, but it is hard to be statistically impactful when you are doing the sorts of things that DeGuara does on a down-in, down-out basis. I think it's also hard to tie production to an evaluation of Josiah DeGuara because of, well, his relationship with the now former quarterback in Green Bay. He seemed to have a pretty contentious on-field relationship with Aaron Rodgers. That went basically one way, for that matter. Rodgers seemed pretty consistently important, or not important, irritating, irritated with Josiah DeGuara. Put it that way. DeGuara could not make Aaron Rodgers happy for whatever reason. He was lined up wrong. He was doing the wrong things on the field, whatever. I don't think we ever got a satisfactory explanation for it, but he had a hard time with Aaron Rodgers. In any case, production-wise, it hasn't been super exciting. 39 catches, 371 yards, two touchdowns for his Green Bay career. 13 catches, 114 yards, no touchdowns last year. Why is he in the moderate expectations tier? On the one hand, He's got a pretty small role in Green Bay. He is not going to be counted upon to catch a lot of passes or be a central figure in the offense. On the other hand, he does have a pretty specific role, a role that really I don't think anybody else can fill on the Packers. They do have Henry Pearson, who is a dyed-in-the-wool fullback, whom we haven't talked about yet, really, in any kind of depth other than at the uh, undrafted free agent recap episode. But there is no other Josiah DeGuara-like player on the roster. We don't even have Dominique Daphne this year to do Josiah DeGuara-esque things. It's DeGuara and nobody else. So how does he meet expectations? For one thing, he's got to continue to be the great blocker that we know he can be. For another, I think he's got to grow into the opportunities that he. I think he is going to get this year. I think... There may be new opportunities for him to do things on offense as the offense changes with Jordan Love, though expecting a huge change in the offense is probably misguided. I still think it's going to be a little bit different. So he's got to just take advantage of those opportunities when they arise, however limited they may be for a guy sitting behind two relatively high draft picks in his position group. Prediction-wise, I think he plays more snaps in the backfield than ever before, that has been trending up for him since late 2021. Essentially, I just think he's going to do more fullback-type stuff this year. I also think he's going to have more catches than last year, let's say 15 or more catches in 2023 for Josiah DeGuara. High expectations. Should be pretty obvious here. It's going to be Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave. Craft comes in trying to make a pretty big jump, from small-time college football to NFL football. Though it should be noted there were plenty of people at the college football level who thought he could play big-time college football and be an interesting contributor there. Dane Brugler, I think, is the first or was the first to mention 
uh, that Kraft got a six-figure NIL offer from Alabama to come play football for them. I don't know what it says about Kraft that he didn't take the money. I don't think it says that he's dumb. He clearly had a reason for it. I just think personally, $100,000 sounds like an awful lot of money to say no to. But he stayed where he was comfortable, and that's a pretty cool story too. He comes to the Packers as what you'd think of as the de facto Y tight end, the Mercedes Lewis replacement, the guy who can do, hopefully, what Robert Tunyon really couldn't do, just for maybe size reasons over the life of his career in Green Bay, become a, a plus blocker as a tight end. Uh, Kraft, I think, is going to have an opportunity to do that. And that maybe is too harsh, I should say, for Robert Tunyon, because he, even if he wasn't a great blocker, he sure did all he could as a blocker, and used correctly, he could be fairly effective. I think we all still remember the early 2021 game where he handled Mr. Bosa from the San Francisco 49ers pretty well, uh, burying him on a couple admittedly quasi-blindside blocks just due to design. But still, he put him on the ground, and not a lot of people do that. So when put in the right position, he could be an effective blocker. I think when you look at Kraft, though, the Packers are looking at a guy who might be able to be an effective blocker even when he isn't in a ready-made, tailored position. He ends up in the high expectations tier because, like Musgrave, the Packers are banking on him. They are counting on him, Musgrave, or a combination of those two, hopefully a combination of those two, to essentially fix their tight end position both now and in the future. Now because they're really all they've got, and the future because, well, next year they are almost literally going to be all the Packers have at tight end. Both Taguara and Davis are going to end up in free agency next year one way or another, whether they end up in Green Bay or not. Kraft and Musgrave will not. However this season goes, they are still going to be around next year, and the Packers are going to be counting on them again to continue to grow as players. So Kraft really has to show that he can make the jump. I don't know what to expect from him at all early this season. I think we're really going to have to figure out what Kraft is in the preseason, in training camp. I'm going to be you know, scouring the internet every single day of training camp trying to figure out updates on the tight ends because that's just the sickness that I have. Uh, but Kraft, we're going to have to see some real development from him because it is a big jump going from where he played college football to the NFL. Even if there were guys, nominally Nick Saban among them, Nick Saban's staff at least, who thought he could play big-time college football, fact remains he didn't. So figuring out who he is as a player going from small college football to the NFL is going to be a process for him. And I think we're going to have fairly limited to exposure to him as a receiver this year. So the predictions I have for him have to do with his statistical output. I think under 30 catches, under 400 yards for Kraft this year. That brings us to Luke Musgrave. He comes in, as we mentioned, a big athlete who has a fairly spotty injury history already. But when healthy, he looks every bit an elite receiving tight end, at least at the college level. He can move, he can run, and there's nobody who doesn't wear a number in the 20s or single digits that runs with him on the football field. 
and by that I'm just being defensive backs. Linebackers cannot keep up with him. He just is that kind of physical presence on the field, one whom the Packers really haven't seen since, shoot, Jared Cook maybe? I'm just trying to think of the last real, the guy whose athleticism was his main selling point as a upside tight end. You could say Robert Tunyon. Tunyon is significantly smaller than Musgrave. Looking back further than Tunyon or further than Cook, you probably go back to Jermichael Finley. Beyond that, you're looking back to the, the very early 2000s. Really don't have a good answer for that beyond the, that. And really, unfortunately, when we talk about Jermichael Finley, we have to remember that he arrived in Green Bay in 2008, which is 15 years ago now. Time. What does it do? goes way too fast is what it does. Anyway, he ends up in the high expectations tier because of all of those things we just said. He is a tight end prospect, the likes of which the Packers have not had in a significant amount of time. He is going to be in the interesting situation of being able to meet expectations by just not making the Packers look dumb. Because I don't think he's going to be short of opportunities this year. Looking at the Packers' offense... The Packers have Christian Watson. They have Romeo Dobbs. As far as proven pass catchers beyond those two, you start to look at Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in terms of just the amount of balls they've caught in the NFL. The point is, this is a new offense. And I don't mean like schematically, but I just mean the packing order has not been established. Up through 2021, it was Devontae Adams and it was everybody else. Prior to that, dating back to, well, I guess it was dating back to 2016, basically. It was was just Devontae Adams and, you know, maybe some some Jordy Nelson mixed in 2016-2017. This is a new era, though. There is no established pass catcher on the roster. And to the extent that anybody is an established pass catcher, nobody has really worked with Jordan Love. So figuring out your role in the offense, you're starting from basically the same place as everyone else. And I think there's a real good chance that Musgrave is going to get force-fed the football this year. Between him and Watson, you've got two athletic mismatch makers. And if you're going to build an offense, a passing offense... That seems like a pretty good place to start. Musgrave is going to be on the field. We know that because there just aren't that many other tight ends to play. He is a big athletic prospect. We know that. And there just aren't that many other guys to throw the ball to, especially at tight end. He's not going to lose targets to many other guys. Maybe Tucker Craft, probably not Josiah DeGuara, certainly not Tyler Davis. The tight end target's got to go to somebody. Probably going to go to Luke Musgrave. So prediction-wise, I think stats-wise, he's going to have a pretty nice-looking year. Some of it might be fool's gold just because of the amount of opportunities that I think he's going to have, but I think 45 or more catches, 500 or more yards for rookie tight end Luke Musgrave. Tight ends or or touchdowns are kind of voodoo anyway. Who knows how many you're going to score in a given year. Julio Jones went a long time with really unimpressive touchdown numbers, but it really didn't reflect who he was as a player. So I don't want to go into that for Musgrave. I would, I don't know, 
two or three. I I really don't want to put a number on how many times I think he's going to score, but I I feel pretty good about those predictions in terms of at least the numbers he's going to put up. Now, interesting brainwave that I had here recently. If he's really going to get force-fed the football, what would an insanely good year look like for Luke Musgrave? Do you know off the top of your head, this is totally unfair because I know the answer, you know off the top of your head, what is the record for receptions by a tight end in a season? Not a rookie, just any tight end in a season, in Green Bay, I should say. It's 61 by Jermichael Finley. I don't think it's that crazy to wonder if Musgrave could get close to that as a rookie. If he's within 10 catches of that, if he breaks 50 catches this year, that's a pretty outstanding year for a rookie tight end. And again, I think just because of the amount of balls that I think are going to come his way, it wouldn't be crazy to see him make a run at something like that. Over a 17-game season, 61 catches is only about 3.6 per game. That's a pretty big load for a rookie, but I think it's doable. And the passing targets have got to go to somebody. They might as well go toward the big, tall, fast, tight end. And I don't think that's just my tight end bias talking. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.